0: Welcome to the PA Leadership Podcast, brought to you by the Pennsylvania Association of Intermediate Units. The PA Leadership Podcast highlights aspiration, inspiration, and innovation in education during times of adversity and prosperity. Now to your hosts, Dr. Greg Coons and Dr. Mark Hoffman.
1: All right. Welcome to the PA Leadership Podcast. My name is Greg Coons, and I am from the School Intermediate Unit 29.
2: And I'm Mark Hoffman, proud Executive Director of the Bucks County Intermediate Unit in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Intermediate Unit, you ask, what are they? Well, we are the Agile Entrepreneurial Service Agency Supporting the Schools of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Greg, this is an important topic today. Very
1: important topic. We're talking today about safe schools and school climate, Again, our podcast focuses on spotlights, innovation, and education during times of adversity. Our two special guests today have a very rich background in both school safety um, and school climate initiatives. Um, Our first special guest is Joe DeLuca, who serves as the Director of Administrative Services at Luzerne IU18. Welcome, Joe.
0: Hey, thanks, Greg. Thanks for uh, having me, and and Dr. Hoffman, appreciate it. Good to see you guys again.
1: And our second special guest is Mason Wooldridge, who is the new director of safety and security at the Hanover area school district. Welcome Mason.
3: Docs, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Mason, let's start with you. Um, school safety. We, we mentioned that's the topic of today's, uh, episode where, as we think about that, it's such a broad topic and it's in your job title, right? What does it mean to you? What are those key elements of school safety? And, um, how does it manifest in your day-to-day world?
3: In kind of the way the state breaks up my job, as far as safety goes, they break it up into the physical safety. So the actual person, actual body, not as much like compliance to OSHA requirements, but much more. How do we make sure every kid, every teacher that comes to school goes home safely. So from that angle, we deal with the physical safety of the human body. And then we also now are kind of putting on our plates, the, uh, there the state is calling mental health safety or mental safety. So it's kind of a new term for more of a spin of how do we start addressing both physical safety and kind of the interpersonal safety of the students and teachers in the school. So for my side, I deal with the actual life safety of the human beings that are on
1: campus. Okay, Thanks, Mason. And uh, just to, to yeah. point out to our listeners, Mason is a national speaker. Um, he, he, he has done a lot of research um, on school safety, um, has written a book, um, as well, um, called soft targets. Um, so I would encourage our listeners to also uh, check that out. Um, and transitioning to Joe here, um, tell us, you know, Joe comes back, he has a school counseling background. Um, and I know he really, this is a, this is a topic that's really close to his heart, but school climate, how does school climate impact the overall wellness of a school?
0: That's a great question, Greg. When, um, Mason When I met Mason, we probably uh, spent a summer doing close to 100 schools uh, as far as physical security assessments. And, you know, a part of that, even though we were looking at the physical aspect of a school, windows, doors, locks, um, things like that, we also, you get a feel for the school. I call school climate, um, you know, kind of like the feel. It's, uh, you know, going into a home, you know, how... How welcome do you feel when you're in there? How are you treated by the, you know, your hosts? Um, you know, same thing with schools. Uh, what's what's the interaction like between teachers and students? What's the interaction like between student and student? What's the interactions between leadership and administration? Uh, how do you treat people, you know, from, you know, bottom on up and, and top down? So, you know, when, when we look at climate, we look at the general you know, feel of the school, how much, you know, love and respect is in that school among the people who inhabit that. And, you know, as you know, uh, that's, that's a big part of school safety, you know, kids feeling comfortable, feeling cared about, feeling respected, uh, and and feeling safe going to school.
2: I remember when uh, I was going to school to be a teacher, one of the things you learn is educational psychology, or at least you're introduced to it. You can't learn it all, obviously. I don't mean to imply that, but Something that still sticks with me to this day that's referenced all the time, and, and, and Joe, I think you're you're referencing it now, is this this idea of Maslow's hierarchy, right? Like the idea that kids come to school and I think the outcome is supposed to be learning, teaching and learning, but in order for that to happen, other things have to be in place first. And at the bottom of that pyramid, that foundation is safety, right? Kids need to be in a, what do we say in like facilities, operations, of school, a warm, dry, safe place. Yes. All uh, the basic and, needs. All the basic needs have to be met. And you know, and not only is that a safe place during the day, but it's also food in their stomach so that they can concentrate because you can't concentrate if you're hungry. You can't concentrate if you're cold. You can't concentrate if you're too hot. Uh, you can't concentrate if the furniture's broken, right? In other words, for, exactly. for learning to happen, what you describe with climate has to be there.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: And so uh, I think that's a really nice preamble. I'm wondering, uh, Mason, as, as you hear about climate and you put that in the context of your work— how does the school district in 2022 pay for all of this? Um, Especially with it being such a hot topic in the news. And obviously I I like the way you phrased it, you know, parents want their kids to come home the way they, they went to school. And so how is this, how is this paid for? How are schools figuring out a way to keep their kiddos and their staff safe?
3: That's a good question. Uh, In normal times, in non atrocity times, like, um, you know, seems to kind of hit our country every few years it's it's really tax base so the initial step is what does our tax base of our school system look like which kinds of gives us the opportunity to create an allocated safety budget or climate budget that some other schools may not have based on a lower tax base may allow a school district to hire personnel who do nothing but literally focus strictly on the climate of each school building or each you know building collectively within district so in perfect times uh, with the right amount of funding from a tax base, you can create funding mechanisms that are annual that allow a school district to kind of build on it. Other than your tax base, you're really going after state, federal, and local grants. You know, during COVID times, a lot of the funds that were COVID relief funds for our educational environments were allowed to be used on things other than precise remedies to um, the physical location of people to kind of isolate the, the COVID strains. So Schools are able to use some of the COVID dollars to do quite a bit on people versus people, people on people, you know, um, teacher mental health can go into that. And then grants. So Pennsylvania as a state just did an amazing um, pass through of dollars for school safety funding, both physical security. And then the term that we were using a little bit earlier, which was the mental safety, which is um, kind of. A new term, like I said earlier, uh, but that will allow us to use that funds for climate within the school, climate for the educators, um, bringing in you know those who sit in a class and go hurrah and, and really you know feel what the teachers are going through, or strictly for a school that says, hey, we have a climate that we need to address. Let's say it's um, non enthusiastic towards being part of our our uh, our district. So from signage to pep rallies to bringing in motivational speakers. Funds can be used from grants for that, and then locally, you can go to your township, your county, your city. A lot of times, there's uh, rotary grants or local institution grants that you can get that are for smaller amounts five, ten, fifteen thousand, that kind of thing.
1: Well, thank you, Mason, and I just I want to point out uh, both Mason and Joe really good people. Um, I, I I've worked with them for many years, um, and they they bring that human side uh, to leadership, and, and you know they they understand people. The understand, we talk a lot on this podcast about relationships, yeah, communication
2: right, and relationships, yeah,
1: communication and relationships. And these guys, you know, they, they really portray that in their, in their daily work. Um, so we well, thank you for that. Um, can and could I ask a follow up question, actually? Yes, yes, Mason, yes just sure. sticking
2: with you on this idea of communication, how do you what's the communication look like from your seat to the community, community meeting students, the, the staff that you're supporting, and then the parents, and then the other stakeholders? What are you communicating from your seat about safety?
3: That's a great question. You know, taking this position about a week ago, I came into a climate of we're going to communicate one particular way as the district to our parents. And the way that we've been communicating is via online. Really, it's an online presence uh, as the first means of communication. So through social media, Facebook posts, we have a parent of students in the school that run our basically school to parent communication via Facebook. They don't work for the school. They don't, you know, have the schools back. They're just kind of a mouthpiece for the community of here's what's going on. Uh, Board meetings are usually a way that information gets out. Um, Emails kind of, you know, district-wide stuff posted on the website. But what we're going to try to do now is kind of take a more um, school-to-teacher focus, which I hope we can do, which is really sharing with teachers first. Here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Here's how we're trying to address all the concerns, all the worries, all the issues. And then kind of let that filter out to parents through teachers and see how that works for the first year uh i don't speak for the district of exactly how we're going to do things but that would be the approach that i am looking forward to taking you know from my angle of being director of safety and security direct to teachers direct to administrators uh, to address issues
2: joe what does communication look like for you from your seat
0: it's similar to uh you know what mason mentioned i think you know one of the things i even i could attack that this way when mason was answering the question about you know, money and, you know, how we spend money on safe schools. And you know, one of the things we look at are, there are a lot of things that cost $0. You know, there's, um, you know, not propping doors is $0. And to answer the communication question, um, you know, just a way to school safety and climate and building that is through, you know, staff, administrative visibility, you know, walking the halls, getting around, you know, you'd be amazed how much you pick up as, you know, any former school administrator knows just being in a cafeteria and having your ears open. Um, You know, that's all forms of communication. You know, kids feeling comfortable coming up, you know, talking to you Uh, teachers, you know, where they may not want to come to your office. Maybe they feel more comfortable talking to you as you're, you know, walking the halls or maybe they walk with you. Uh, So, you know, these are all kinds of ways, you know, just to, Kill a lot of birds with one stone in a sense of you know being able to open those lines of communication, be visible, and you know also improve you know your climate and school safety for really no dollars at all. So, Joe, I have a
1: follow up question for you, and it has to do with school climate. Um, I got to tell you, I had an experience uh, with Joe back when I, I worked as as one of his colleagues. Um, we had a student who experienced a, a fire, and their house literally burned down to the ground. Uh, they had nothing, um, and he had to go to school the next day. Um, and who did they call on? But Joe DeLuca. And uh, Joe, Joe was there. Um, he helped work with those students. Um, like I said, very personalized. Um, and I remember, Joe, you remember, I remember you showed me a picture of it was a, one of the students putting their arm around this student who lost their home. Um, so, I, I, why I why I'm prefacing it with this is, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about mental health and like student mental health and how that contributes to the school climate?
0: Wow, um, you know, mental health, Greg. As you know, and, and you know, thank you for the question, and it hits home because sure. you know, being a counselor for you know the earlier part of my career, um, you know, the things that you know maybe counselors here. That parents don't even know about teachers, you know, administrators. Um, it's you know very eye-opening, very sobering. You know what our kids are are dealing with, you know, and what they're coming to school with. You know the the trauma, um, you know, that many of these students face at a young age. And to bring it back to what Mark was saying about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I mean, you know, the child that's being abused in school, you know, they're coming in. And those lower, their safety needs are not met. They feel extremely unsafe. How do you self-actualize? How do you go in and learn, you know, chemistry or biology or math when, you know, that's going on in your personal life? So, um, you know, we've seen it now. You know, with there's there's reports as as we could predict, you know, coming out of the pandemic and the shutdown. Um, You know, we knew as leaders, we knew as educators, we knew uh, that this is something that, you know, a decision that was made, but we knew that it was probably going to have a profound negative impact on kids, and we're starting to see that, you know, now. So this is a this is a really big time for leaders in education. It's a crucial time for it's it's the most difficult time, I believe, for leaders in education right now uh, coming out of the pandemic from you know meeting the mental health needs of students, uh making sure they're safe and secure, you know, in our buildings. I think, you know, the government is starting to recognize that. Now our state leaders are recognizing that. Um, you know, more money's coming our way. So, you know, it it's a really a challenging time. It's time to really tighten up the bootstraps and and get to work. So um we we're, we're we're needed now more than ever. Let's put it that way. Thanks, Joe.
2: Greg, I don't think you know this, but your story about that the student with the house fire. When I was in second grade, my house burned to the ground.
1: I didn't know that. Yeah, And so
2: I got the chills when you told that story because I'm thinking like that was a formative memory that I have. But the way that the community responded, the way that my parents responded, my older siblings, my aunts, my uncles, my friends. I mean, I I could talk about it. It it wasn't the trauma, in other words, of losing your house was obviously real. The way that the community rallied around my family and the work that my parents did in my school. I mean, those are the memories actually that I have. Now, I'm sure my parents have a totally different recollection, right, having lost their home as, you know, young parents and all these other things. But uh, I felt like you were talking about me for yes, a second there. how about that? It was very, very surreal. Uh, Mason, I'm wondering, um, Greg mentioned the expertise that you have and, and of course, this amazing opportunity that you have to support a school district. What are some of the best practices or takeaways that you'd like our audience to know about school safety, um, you know, with the with the final minutes that we have here?
3: Uh, one, I think kind of nationally, but definitely statewide, definitely schools we've worked with, the myth that uh, something can't happen to us has kind of been dispelled. So if anyone's out there listening, thinking that something isn't going to happen to us because we're a rural community or we're a well-funded community or we're, whatever, you name it, community, just the realization that we have to prepare as if something could happen to us, it will happen to us as opposed to won't. Um, And we don't need to bring in other tragedies to it, but you know, that would be number one. Number one is if you're in safety and security, if you're in climate, if you're an administrator, if you're district wide administration, the realization that regardless of, of the, the prayer that nothing should ever happen and hopefully it never will, we have to prepare like it will. And then two, make sure you have a phenomenal um, emergency response plan that's up to date that you use that uh, has an updated physical security and and mental health assessment in it uh, that you're working off of for your spending needs. Too many times districts just kind of throw things at a wall because they need to do something as a reaction. If you have a really good emergency response plan that you use, that the district uses, that your principals use, um, that has up-to-date physical security assessments and mental health assessments. The right assessment will allow you to know where you need to focus uh, really hires and spending. So the realization, this, even if we all hope it will never happen, we have to plan like it will, worst case scenarios, and a really good up-to-date emergency response plan that you work off of for the districts moving forward. Those would be the, the main things that I would say uh, everyone should cross off the list
1: first. Right. Excellent. Um Joe and Mason, just one final question for you both. Um, we have a lot of listeners out here, a lot of leaders, uh, whether they're in education or business. Um, any advice that you can offer at uh, regarding their work, leadership work, journey, their leadership journey, you know, your leadership journey and um, what what they should be thinking about? Well, Mason, I'll
0: let you take it first.
3: So in the context of this, just on a personal leadership journey, is that what we want to hit real quick? Yes. Okay. So my personal leadership philosophy has never say no to an opportunity. Um, The worst thing is you might have to reschedule a couple months of your time, but don't say no. And then never do the wrong thing because you're afraid you'll lose your job over it. And then I know uh, in some past lectures, given directly to superintendents what came out of a three-hour lecture was don't be afraid to be integrous because that's really all you have so you'll always if you're a superintendent you're a principal you're an educator and you're integrous in the decisions you make and you stand up for the right things and you you don't have a job because of it watch how fast people line up to give you a job so those those would be the two don't say no to a new opportunity and always be integrous
1: thank you mason how about you
0: joe the word or words that pop in my head, Greg, when you asked that question were uh, relationships and, and connections. So um, I think you and I had a conversation about this one time when you were in the office and really, you know, it's something I remember from early on in my leadership um, training and, and my days of work. And that is, you know, I may have a hundred emails sitting in my inbox. Uh, I may have 20 phone calls to call back. I may have you know, people lined up to come in and meet with me in my office and it may be a very stressful taxing day. And so the point is like to, for me, you know, that's a hundred people, but for that one person, you know, I'm, I'm their their day can't maybe move on, you know, stress free without having that conversation with me. So, um, I always did my best to try to answer every email, every phone call, even though it may not have seemed paramount to me or a major problem to me. Uh, to that person it very well may have been. And, um, you know, when meeting with people, I just always try to, you know, give them, you know, my full attention, like, you know, they are the only thing that matters, you know, at that moment and be present, you know, for that particular person and, and to continue, you know, building relationships, because we at all of us absolutely did not get to where we are today without having, uh, great support, great mentors, great friends, you know, great people in our life. So, um, and that's, I, you know, I appreciate you guys, you know, for that, you're, you're, you're part of that. So um, that that's, that's what I would, would leave, end with, leave with here. Well, Joe, I got to tell you, I do remember
1: the conversation and, you know, talking about being present um, it is so important. I know we had a conversation as well. I, we're going to be wrapping it up here, but um, we talked about how it's something that I had to work on. Was I was very efficient with people, but not always effective with people. And that was that was uh, advice that was given to me by a mentor, uh, Hal Bloss, who who worked who who was our boss at the time. Um, and I you know I, I know we just we really reflected on that and just being present for people um, and being there when when uh, they need you. Uh, so again, thank you for that and. Joe and Mason, thank you so much for being uh, our our special guest today. Um, We'd like to thank uh, you for your time and your expertise um, and and for our listeners. Thank you for listening to the PA Leadership Podcast, where we highlight innovation and education during times of adversity. Until next time, make it a great day and innovate PA.